Welcome back. Uh, for, the, for those uh, who don't know, we do have preteen, and that is from fourth and fifth grade. Yeah, so if, you're not, if you have kids that age, send them down there too. Um, all right, we are studying the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, so we're working our way verse by verse through the whole book of 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me. So the theme, as we talked about, of 1 Timothy is how to conduct yourself in God's household. How to conduct yourselves in God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar of truth. So a few weeks ago, I came up here and we read the verses, I believe, in 1 Timothy 3 about elders and deacons. Okay, and, and um, we talked about elders and deacons, and elders are servant leaders, and deacons are leading servants. That makes sense. Elders are servant leaders, and deacons are leading servants, meaning they lead teams of servants in different areas. Um, so um, the church is a body of believers, right? The church is, is made up of a body of believers, but God has made a beautiful structure to organize the body of believers so we can be effective for expanding his kingdom. Amen? Like that's our whole, one of our whole purposes is, is to make disciples of all the nations. So there are many people out there that, that were super involved in church and are Christians and super involved in church, and they kind of got burnt out from the institution of church. They kind of got burnt out from the church as an institution. But that is usually because the leaders of that church were not following a biblical example. Um, so today we're talking about elders again, and he circles back to this topic of elders. And we learned about the qualifications of elders, like what's required to be an elder and like, you know, uh, all that stuff. And he circles back to elders um, and how the first part was how the elders care for the church. And today is more about how the church cares for the elders. Okay? And so, and we'll, we'll read the whole passage. But it's important to note here, because many people might not know this, but j has six elders. All right? There's six elders. There's uh, Brian Kubinek, uh, Jeff McCabe, Andy Carlson, who's going to be leading communion after service, um, Tom Zeller, Mike Bergtorf, and myself. Okay? Um, so we make up the six elders, and uh, we may add more to that in the future as we are discipling and, and leaders feel called and, and that type of thing. Um, so that's the nutshell. So here we're going to read the passage in its entirety, and then we're going to break it down. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 25. So Brian started off 1 Timothy 5 talking about widows and how we care for widows and uh, older folks in the church. And today is um, the, second, the second half of that chapter, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. And it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. The, it, says, it starts out by this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that um, the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep 
these instructions without partiality, and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Stop drinking only water, and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, and the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are, some good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Let's pray. God, as we take a moment to just settle our minds about everything we have going on today and uh, everything happening today, God, we just pray that we focus in on your word and what you're trying to teach us today and, um, and what we can learn from from and about your heart, God, and what you want to see done in your church, but also what you want to see done in our hearts as well. So God, uh, use this message, use this word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we have here four ways that we care for our elders. Four ways we care for our elders. And the first one is this, honor and provisions. Honor and provisions. So in verse, uh, 17, verses 17 through 18, it says this, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work um, is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain, and the worker deserves an organization. So the first part of this is honor, like honor and provision. So in, in worldly organizations that maybe you work in, maybe your workplace, um, maybe where you used to work, um, oftentimes people in the organization are super disrespectful of the people, like the supervisors, the general managers, the boss, the CEO. And it's commonplace for them to talk trash about the people who are leading them, right? Like, yeah, the boss just sits around in his office, you know, he has his clipboard, he comes looking at us, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's commonplace, and it's not right, but it's commonplace in many of our secular workplaces. And I think it's common, it happened back then as well, and what he's saying, this shouldn't be the case in the church. This, like, you should, you know, the, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, um, even more honor than regular. Um, and part of that is, I believe that our elders are up against a lot. When you are a leader in a church, and I'm not just talking about our elders, I'm talking about if you lead a ministry, like if you're leading the women's retreat, and you're going to be taking 25 women on this retreat. Do you know what Satan's going to try to do? He's going to put a big old target on your back and say, I want to disrupt this whole person's life. Why? Because I don't want them to be, uh, I don't want them to be on their A game when they go on this retreat. If you are discipling someone, Satan's going to be, put a target on your back. If you're doing anything to make any difference, Satan's going to put a target on your back. And his goal is to bring you down. Again, that's why I always say to people, when you get baptized, that, like, you're excited, you're getting baptized, everybody's cheering you on, you just shared your testimony before the church, make sure that you are walking with the Lord that week after. Because he's going to do nothing but to trip you up, hurt your testimony, bring you down, right after you just shared your testimony to the church. Because he wants to say, hey, this woman isn't as good as you think she is. You know, that's what Satan's job is. And it's the same as we go for people who are effective in the church, and it rings true for pastors and elders, is Satan's always after them, and, and they always got to be in their word to protect themselves. 
It's not like saying he's going to be victorious. You know, the word says stand strong in your faith and the devil will flee. And so we tell our elders, make sure you're in the word and all that stuff, but we need to support them and honor them because the elders of J-Road don't do it for the glory. They don't do it for some title or some position. It's really a servant position. It's really they do it to serve. They are typically at every single event we do at J-Road. They're here a number of times, you know, throughout the week even. They come in for elder meetings twice a month. They're expected to lead missional communities. They're expected to serve on Sundays. There's such, you know, many of you do those things too, but they're just, they're, they're doing a lot. And so he's saying, you know, show honor to your elders. And the second way it talks about here is taking care of your elders financially, um, taking care of your pastors financially. And so he said um, that he, he gives point here that some elders are going to be, should be provided for, especially if their work isn't preaching or teaching. And so, um, you know, that's where we go to, is pay your pastor his labor above and beyond what a lay elder is supposed to do. So, again, I'll go back. A normal elder is required to be here on Sundays, unless they're on vacation or something. They're required to be here on Sundays. They're expected to lead a missional community. They're here two days a week, um, or I'm sorry, two days a month, so uh, for elder meetings. They're expected to serve anything other special and retreats and things like that. And so we look at a paid staff member has to go above and beyond all that thing, all those things. Does that make sense? And so if you could, like, so really, if I calculate my hours to make sure that I'm getting, because I serve the church 40 hours a week, I don't count my time at missional community. I don't count, unless I'm visiting somebody's missional community, but I don't count me leading a missional community. I don't count elder meeting, and I don't count being here on Sunday morning. Does that make sense? Because that's what everybody's supposed to do, right? Like, I'm being paid for above and beyond. Um, so, uh, and so he talks about this. And has anybody ever heard this phrase, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain? Has anybody ever heard this phrase before? It's ba- he's basically saying that even when an ox is working in the field, he's still allowed to eat. <laughs> you know, they don't like muzzle him so he can't eat while he's working in the fields that he's in. And so he's saying like, you know, provide for these guys. Whatever it looks like, provide for them as they're, if, if they're going above and beyond. Um, and so uh, that's where... Uh, we take a weekly tithe in a portion. I think probably, I think less, around 50% or less of our tithes go towards um, staffing, like Jackie, Fern, Loxamana, and myself. Um, and so, you know, it's part, everyone who is part of J-Road, especially our partners, you know, we encourage to set aside a percentage of your income to give back to the Lord and his kingdom. And that's where we get the tithe. Um, and so this verse speaks about the validity of that. Um, and as a people, we should strive for radical generosity everywhere in our lives. And that's kind of what this verse is talking about. Like, be generous. Be radically generous. When you're at the restaurant and you're about to tip, when you're helping somebody in need, if you see any in the church, and when you give to the church, we should practice generosity. You know, and the overall theme for this is take care of your elders, take care of your pastors, and so you can understand it's awkward for me to talk about because I'm a pastor and I'm an elder. And so I'm saying, hey, you know, but I'll say this. You guys as a church take care of me generously. 
You know, I've been, this is my, going on my eighth year here, and you guys take care of me, and I know the other the staff members feel the same. So um, I'm very grateful for you guys taking care of me. Um, so we must honor them, um, provide for them, and it goes on to say we must protect the character of the elders. So the, the next one is protection. 1 Timothy 5.19 says this, Do not entertain an accusation of an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Okay? Um, so if someone comes to you with an accusation of an elder and it says they must have two or three witnesses, um, it can't be gossip or hearsay. Okay? So if, somebody, if somebody's claiming an elder at J-Road is in sin, and you ask, well, how do you know? And like, well, I heard from somebody. Well, can you tell me who somebody is? Well, they prefer not to be known. <laughs> Well, somebody who prefers not to be known is not really a witness. It's gossip, you know. They need to go and tell the other elders um, who they are and what it is. And, you know, it says here there should be more than one witness. And again, I, I think especially for them, back in Ephesus, people were trying to take out the pastors maliciously. You know, here it's probably not as bad but it was nothing to go into a church and make wild accusations against the pastor to take him down because they wanted to stop the church from expanding, right? And so he said, hey, if you hear an accusation, make sure there's two or three witnesses that can back it up. And if there's one, he's like, you shouldn't even entertain it. Um, and so, uh, so the, this certainly doesn't mean that pastors have complete immunity from accusations, if that was the case, there'd be a ton of abuse in the church and all these things. He's saying we need to protect them from false accusations, um, but we also need to rebuke them publicly when there is an accurate finding of sin. Does that make sense? Like, how much weight this carries. He's like, if they are in sin, they should not only be uh, rebuked and they should not only be restored, but he's like, the church should also know about it and you should tell the church, okay? So it goes on to uh, chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. It says this, But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove them before everyone. Reprove also means rebuke, so that the others may take warning. Who are the others that they're talking about? What'd you guys say? Yeah, all those in the church, also the other elders. It's like a warning. It's like, oh, Number one, the church takes the Bible seriously, and they do what it says, even when it's hard. And, you know, that takes a lot of integrity to, to share, you know, the pastor to come up and share what the sin is or somebody share about the pastor um, or the elder. And so, and so he says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. So, do nothing out of partiality or favoritism, meaning that if, you know, if Mike Bergtorf is in sin and we correct it and all this stuff and, and we rebuke him publicly, we need to do the same with everybody. You know, like the pastor doesn't get an exemption because, you know, he's a pastor. He's like, every elder is the same. Like, you shouldn't treat one differently because, you know, they give more or they're, 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 everybody in the church likes them more than this other person. Like, no, it's like everybody needs to be treated the same. And that should go across the board. So first he says, show honor to your elder, elders. Then, you know, pay them if they go above and beyond. 
and don't let false claims be entertained. But if you have a couple people claim that your pastor or elder is sinning, you should do an investigation. And so it's implied here that an investigation is like talk to the witnesses, you know, figure out what's going on. And I think this is where sin and error come in the church. And I've talked about this before. Um, in some churches, the senior pastor is put on such a high pedestal, they're almost like a king. Do you guys, you guys ever see what I'm talking about? Like some churches even have like a special parking lot, you know, or a special parking space in the front for the pastor. They have special provisions for the pastor. The pastor's doted over. And I think it's great to show honor, but that's just for one elder. It's not for the rest of the elders. So you already see there's some favoritism or partiality towards one man versus the other elders. And so, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't think we do that here because I, I don't entertain that. Um, but if your pastor and elder is the, in a king-like position of the church, they make all the decisions, they rule it, they're not going to take too kindly to an investigation in their church. Does that make sense? They're not going to take too kindly to be like, hey, uh, you know, these two people say that you did this sin, and we're going to talk to them, and we're going to investigate. It's like, what? You'd believe them over me? And yada, yada, yada. And that's where sin and error comes in the church. Number one, they don't do an investigation. Or number two, the lead pastor won't stand for it. Um, but the elders and teachers should be held to a higher standard. In James 3, 1, it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And so uh, they are held to a higher standard. Um, and it's, it's for a reason. So... Um, if, it, if an investigation is found that a pastor or elder um, is in sin, they should be rebuked before the church. And what does that look like? Um, number one, not every, not every sin is going to be worth rebuking in front of the whole church, right? I'd be up here probably every other Sunday, you know, because of something I jaywalked or something that two people saw me doing or other sins. Um, but when it says here um, in verse 21, but the elders who are sinning, you are to approve before everyone. That who are sinning, that word sinning, and when you look, break it down, it means continuing in sin. So it means that they're not just sinning, they are constantly sinning and not repenting. And so it's more than just, hey, you know, I, me and my three friends from church passed the pastor and he gave us the middle finger on 31, you know. You need to tell them, like, like that could be like, Maybe, like, the elders could talk to him and he could handle that privately. But if it's a sin that's constant, if it's a sin that affects the integrity of the whole church, if it's a sin that people in the church, you know, it might just affect the whole ministry, it needs to be brought up. Um, and so, um, and again, you know, if that is found, the elders should rebuke him and then also lead him to repentance and restore him. It doesn't say remove the pastor who's continuing sin even. So you see there's a lot of grace here as well. They're not saying it. You think if a pastor is continually sinning, you know, they're just kicked out. He said, no, if they repent, rebuke him for the whole church. I believe if they don't repent, you have to be removed. But all of this is to say that if two or three witnesses bring an accusation against an elder of the church, the other elders need to do an investigation and really depend on Jesus. Because the elders are not 
the, the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so the elders should go to God in prayer and see what steps we should take, you know. There's a big difference between an act of, you know, just you had an anger, you know, outburst, and you've been having a three-month affair, you know. Like, there's a big difference, <laughs> whether that pastor needs to step down, be restored. But either way, it says rebuke for the whole church could mean, it, it could mean that you bring the pastor up and you share what happened. It could just be that we send an email out to the church saying that this sin was found out and this is how we're dealing with it. But it was like, let the whole church know. Does that make sense? And so he says, uh, you should let the whole church know. Um, so, yeah, and, and oftentimes when this happens, if there is repentance, there's a restoration plan. Um, you know, but, and it goes back to all the qualifications of an elder. If an elder has disqualified themselves, if they're not willing to repent, then, you know, they have to step down or they disqualify themselves. Um, and so, number, the, number four, the last one is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Appoint elders with care. Appoint elders with care. So if we read this too fast, you might not get the, the point of it, but we'll read 1 Timothy 5, 22 through 25. It says, Do not be what? Hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. If you were just reading that, you would be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'll be sure not to lay on my hands on people in church or be quick to lay my hands on people in church. Um, but what it's saying here is laying on of hands was how you appointed elders. And so they knew that. Like, laying on of hands is how you appoint elders to that position. So he's saying, do not be quick to appoint somebody to the position of elder and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, verse 23, stop drinking only water and use a little of wine because of your stomach and its frequent illness. I'll get to that in a second. The sins of some are obvious— talking about potential leaders in the church. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, and the sins of others are trailed behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are obvious cannot remain hidden forever. So this is the end of chapter 5. So uh, verse 23, I think, is, is kind of funny that, that it's put here. But he tells Paul, like, first of all, he says um, at the end of verse 4, uh, at the end of verse 22, he says, keep yourself pure. Like, keep yourself pure. But stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Okay? I think those are tied together. And what I think he's saying here is many scholars believed, um, and this is, this is kind of reading into it, but many scholars think that Timothy took a personal vow not, not to drink any wine. And not every person in the, in the New Testament church did this, but he, take, he took a personal vow not to touch alcohol, and he stayed to that strong. And he had this stomach illness that wine, which is, was used for medicinal purposes also, could have helped. And Timothy was trying so hard to keep himself pure that he was rejecting some modern medicines that God provided. And so I think there's a ton of beautiful layers here in the church because, number one, um, he, he was, like, number one, I think sometimes we say, hey, I have this stomach issue, but I've, you know, committed to not drinking any alcohol. Or here's another thing. I have this stomach issue, but I'm not taking any medicine for it. And God will just heal me. And Paul's here like, hey, you know what? You need to drink, take a little bit of medicine 
once in a while. Like, God gives us medicine, and it's good. He created it. And I think sometimes we're like, hey, God will heal me. But he's like, hey, I did heal you. I, I made people invent medicine that could actually help you. <laughs> and so he's telling them, like, hey, take a little medicine. You know, take a little wine for your stomach. He wasn't telling them to go out and get drunk. He wasn't telling them to have beers with your buddies. He's saying once in a while to take a little wine for your stomach problems will help. Why he put it right here, I'm not exactly sure, but he, he went on a rabbit trail and put it in there. Um, and I think God ordained that for a reason. But he's telling the elders, keep yourselves pure. But he's like, a little wine for your stomach problems is, are okay. And apparently that's what people use for medicine. Um, so the other point is do not be hasty. To lay hands means don't be quick to appoint an elder. Um, we should take time before we put people in positions of leadership is really all it's saying. Like somebody comes in your church, they've been here for three weeks. It's like, hey, you should be a leader. Say, like, hey, don't be quick to lay on hands. We don't even know this person yet. We should take some time. When you, if we were ever to appoint a pastor, if we were ever to appoint an elder or other leadership positions, he's like, don't be hasty to lay on hands. Um, um, he's saying the reason it is because some sins are, you have no idea. This person, you know, give this person time to get to know them because they might be in sin, leading a double life. Who knows? Because that's why he says, um, the sins of some are obvious, um, and some are not obvious. So get to know them a little bit, you know. Some trail behind them. So um, all in all, in all these things, the church should slow down a little bit and pray and consult God on all these big decisions. If we resort to like, hey, I'm smart, I've been through this, I've been in the church for 10 years, let's make this decision, and you don't consult the Lord, I think you're, I think you're destined to fall into a trap. And that's with you guys in life, right? If you just decide to move, get a new job, you know, take time, pray, and fast about it. You know, don't do anything super hastily. It's not good. So in closing here, uh, Jesus established a church. He established his church on earth. Started with Peter. He's saying, and uh, he uses people. He uses people like you and me, right? Everybody in here, you and me. We are all redeemed hopeless sinners. Every single one of us has a past, myself included. And we are redeemed by the grace of God. When we get in heaven, there won't be a laundry list of all of our sins. And, and we're going to mess up. Like, until we get our new bodies, we're still going to wrestle with our flesh, and we're going to mess up and screw up. But God chooses to use us imperfect people to build his church, right? That's why he's saying, you guys need to be unified because, you know, and forgive one another because we're all, we're all redeemed sinners without our new bodies and still wrestling with the flesh. So he chose to use us, which is beautiful, and there's going to be problems. That's why he has this structure, and that's why he's like, even your elders can mess up and make mistakes. And he's like, you should rebuke them if they do um, make bigger mistakes. Um, so, and what we learned today also was that we need to depend on the Lord for all these commands when to rebuke, when to establish a new elder, um, and also for us to know the elders are not, uh, the, uh, the elders are not the leaders of the church. That's one thing I really want us to know. The elders are the highest, seem like the highest form of leadership in our church. The elders are not. Jesus is the head of the church, and the elders are here to protect the word 
to watch over the flock and discern the Lord's will for where the church should go. And that means they're surrendered to Jesus and where he wants us to go because he is the ultimate head of the church. Nobody's above him. Nobody should be. So I'm going to pray, and then Elder Andy is going to come up, if I'll start calling that now, maybe, um, and lead communion. God, we love you, and we worship you, and uh, God, we, we put this word in your hands, and we, we ask your Holy Spirit to uh, let it marinate in our hearts this week um, as you show us what you want us to do with it and uh, how you want us to act different because of this word. So we love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.